folks, welcome back to the Ubuntu Security Podcast. This is episode 147 and I'm Alex Murray. We're going to do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the last few weeks that we've been away. So yeah, I hope you haven't missed things too much, but we've got some great vulnerabilities to dig into there. Plus, we're also going to have uh, some discussion of the announcement of the recent Deezer uh, Stig Ubuntu Security Guide as well at the end. So stick around for that, particularly if you are yeah, using Ubuntu in those sorts of environments. But uh, let's just get straight into the roundup of Vons. We've got a huge number to go through this week. A hundred different CVEs were actually patched by the team in the last few weeks. I'm not going to go into detail on all of these, but I have picked out, uh, I guess, what I thought were the more interesting ones. Up very first, we had an update for the LXML library. Now, this is a Python library, and this was updated for all of the supported Ubuntu releases going all the way back to 14.04 extended security maintenance and those since. Uh, so yeah, this is the Python library that wraps libxml2 and libxslt. So it's used by lots of other Python packages for parsing of XML documents. Uh, it contains this HTML cleaner module and it's designed to clean up HTML documents that you may you know, obviously be downloading and parsing using uh, LXML. It removes things like embedded scripts and special tags, uh, CSS style annotations and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, the idea is I guess lots of people may then be trying to employ that to sanitize HTML that they're downloading uh, so that it doesn't contain embedded JavaScript and the like. Uh, however, it was obviously found a way to bypass that so you could get embedded JavaScript uh, inside the HTML uh, even after parsing it or cleaning it with that module. Uh, and the same for SVG documents, they could also then actually use uh, data URIs to link to JavaScript as well. As a result, uh, you can imagine you get code execution as a result of that. So yeah, remote code execution from that has now been fixed. Uh, there was also an update for the Linux kernel uh, back in episode 136. Uh, I talked about this update, uh, but unfortunately it caused a regression, uh, in this case a failure to boot uh, on machines that had uh, AMD Secure Encrypted Virtualization enabled. Uh, that has now been fixed. Uh, what else? We've got an update for uh, Log4J 1.2. So uh, you probably recall all of the Log4J vulnerabilities that were discussed uh, in your more recent uh, episodes. I uh, had that big one uh, back in December. But uh, yeah, so the older version of Log4J 1.2 here uh, was similarly vulnerable, but in this case, uh, it was you had to use the JMS Appender module, so you have to have that configured, or you, know, you need an attacker that's got right access to your uh, Log4J configuration to be able to enable that. Uh, but yeah, as a result, they can then get code execution similarly to the original Log4Shell vulnerability. What else? Had an update for GoScript for our 604 extended security maintenance customers. That was a group of vulnerabilities that I talked about back in episode 146. Uh, an update for the Python uh, Pillow package. That's an image handling library. Uh, I patched five different CVEs there. And again, going all the way back to 1404 extended security maintenance and the uh, releases since that. Uh, the usual kind of uh, denial of service or possible remote code execution through crafted image files there. So if you are parsing untrusted images with uh, Pillow, you're a little safer now. What else? We had an update for Firefox. This updates Firefox to the latest upstream release, 96.0, and has the usual mix of issues that we see in web frameworks. So the kinds of things like, um, you know, or the kinds of things where if you visit a, a malicious website, you know, an attacker could cause a denial of service or could possibly spoof uh, the browser UI against you to make you do things uh, that you know you didn't realize that were possibly security sensitive. Uh, they could bypass security or content restriction controls, uh, cause info leaks, and uh, possible remote code execution as well. Uh, an update for Clam AV after that. 
Uh, so a single CVE here, uh, which was an out of bounds read. Uh, if you were uh, using the CL scan general collect metadata option, uh, and that was in the handling of XML files. So a remote attacker could supply one of those uh, files as an input to trigger that. And again, that goes all the way back to uh, Clam AV in Fortinet for extended security maintenance and those since. Oh, we had an update for Ruby. Uh, what else? An update for Biobu. This is uh, kind of, I guess, a wrapper for uh, the venerable screen application. It kind of adds a lot of uh, niceties to it. Uh, this is a kind of a, well, was uh, an Ubuntu in-house project. Uh, Dustin Kirkland, I believe, actually developed this back in the day. And uh, as a result, it contains uh, an app port hook. So basically, if Biobu crashes, uh, then it will Apport will collect a bunch of extra data as a result, including your local uh, screen RC file. And you know some people do store private stuff in there, so things like passwords or you know names of servers and IP addresses and all that kind of stuff uh, for you know sort of shortcuts and that kind of thing. So yeah, that was deemed a, a vulnerability. So that has now been fixed. What else? Uh, there was a high priority vulnerability in a kernel. So thanks to the kernel team for doing an emergency respin to get this one out. Uh, this is for uh, kernels going uh, all the way back to 18.04. Well, this is for kernels in all of the supported releases. So 18.04 uh, and 20.04 long-term support, 21.04 and 21.10. Uh, there was an integer underflow, which could then lead to an out-of-bounds write when parsing uh, various file system properties. Uh, as a result, because you've got an arbitrary write within the kernel, you could possibly get code execution. It does require root privileges to be able to trigger it, but that actually can be done from within a user namespace. And on uh, most Ubuntu releases, I think all of them actually, we enable unprivileged user namespaces. Uh, so yeah, that can be triggered generally by a normal unprivileged user. Uh, so obviously you can uh, mitigate that if you haven't actually installed the update by disabling unprivileged user namespaces. Uh, and uh, this was also released as a live patch as well. So if you are alive or well, making use of live patch uh, and you're on uh, either of the long-term support releases, so 8.04 or 24 long-term support, you've now got that patched as well. But an update for Open vSwitch in uh, Ubuntu 21.10, that's the, I guess, most recent interim release. Uh, there was a memory leak when handling of uh, fragmented packets. So uh, yeah, this only affects the most recent versions of Open vSwitch. So that's why this was only for that most recent Ubuntu release. Well, what else we got? An update for ARDE. This is the advanced intrusion and advanced intrusion detection environment. Uh, this is the kind of thing that I guess you might be using if you're, uh, you know, sysadmin and you're, uh, you know, wanting to try to make sure your machines are uh, not being compromised so that you can detect when uh, files have changed and things outside of what you expect. You know, it goes around checking the integrity of files, so it's a pretty common security tool. Uh, this had a heat buffer overflow that could uh, be that you could trigger what when it was performing various base 64 operations and these are the kind of things that are done when handling uh the extended attributes on xfs file systems or acls on temperfest that kind of thing uh, and then could lead to possible uh, local privileges local user privilege escalation to root because aid runs as root what else? We had an update for Thunderbird. This updates to the latest upstream release, 91.5. Uh, that is for both uh, you know, the current interim release, 21.10, as well as our, our long-term support releases. Uh, so this has the usual mix of issues that we see in these you know, web frameworks, like I talked about uh, Firefox earlier. However, there were also some uh, Thunderbird-specific ones. In particular, uh, it was discovered that the JavaScript interpreter was enabled within uh, the composition window when you go to compose a new mail. You know, that's obviously what can allow you to do things like nice HTML formatting and all of that. Uh, but yeah, it does then potentially interpret J uh, JavaScript. 
it's not the kind of thing that you know a local user could do anything with ordinarily but the idea is if an attacker could exploit some other vulnerability in thunderbird maybe by sending a crafted email or the like that could then get them to say be able to inject content within the composition window that could then cause uh, it then to be able to get local code execution as a result so yeah not directly you know a high priority issue in itself but it is a, an interesting one uh, there's also a buffer overflow in the matrix client library that's shipped with thunderbird and there was uh, a case where it would mishandle pgp mime emails so it would only look at the signature on i guess the inner signed message if it was contained within like a larger outer uh, mime message there so it would show the whole message as being valid even though perhaps only you know that inner one or perhaps only the signature on the inner part of that message was correct so you could potentially take someone else's message embed it within yours that had you know an invalid signature and then send it and it would look like the whole thing was valid uh, what else? We had an update for uh, USB view. This is, I guess, a pretty old package nowadays, uh, but it uses policy kit to enforce various permissions. The idea is this allows you, I guess, to see various permissions of USB devices on your machine. Uh, and uh, it uses policy kit to try to make sure that, you know, whoever's uh, requesting that is allowed to do it because itself is uh, set UID root, I believe. And so, uh, in this case, uh, it didn't configure policy kit correctly. It would allow um, not just local users, but say people of you know, SSH and the like to also be able to run it, but also to be able to uh, load arbitrary modules through the GTK modules uh, command line parameter. So you could then basically get code execution as root as a result. Uh, it should be noted that uh, the upstream developers have you know, removed this kind of you know, runner's root functionality because uh, most modern Linux distros, you actually don't need a root to be able to expose most of that info. So in future, USB view won't uh, run as root at all, which is good to see, uh, you know, defense in depth and kind of reducing permissions where we can, principle of least authority and all that nice good stuff. We had an update for StrongSwan, again, going all the way back to 1404 extended security maintenance and you know, all the releases since then. Uh, an update for policy kit. So again, this goes all the way back to 1404 extended security maintenance uh, and all the way through to Ubuntu 21.10 and all the releases in between. So basically every Ubuntu release. Uh, this is a high priority vulnerability and it was around the mishandling of argv. So if you're, I guess, familiar with uh, how most applications sort of run or I guess the um, API, the programming interface for applications, you know, when you spawn an application or when, well, let's say, let's take a step back. When you run an application, you provide a bunch of command line arguments to it. As a programmer, then, uh, when you write your code, you get given, uh, you know, this array in memory, which is the command line arguments plus a count of the number of arguments that are there. And the very first argument, uh, you know, the zeroth element of that array in C uh, is the name of the application. And then all your arguments follow after that. And so usually you, know, you don't really care what the name of your application is or you know what the name was that uh, the user sort of executed it as, you just care about what the arguments are. So a lot of applications, they start processing that command line uh, argument array at index one. However, uh, it's not, uh, you know, it's only a uh, convention that when you run an application, you know, it has its own name as the very first argument. It is possible to fork an exec, another application, and then not provide any command line arguments to it. And the kernel will quite happily then, you know, pass you know, no command line arguments to it as a result. And then if it goes and tries to look at the command line arguments, there's nothing there for it to process. But this is C, remember, and uh, in C, you know, there's no bounce checking of arrays. Uh, you can just over, you can just run off the end of that array. And in this case, the way that memory is laid out is that the uh, array of environment variables comes straight after the array of argument variables. And so if you then go and process your argument variables, uh, you know, assuming that you have some, but you don't have any, you're gonna start processing the environment variables. Now, 
Uh, this PKX app, uh, application within PolicyKit, it allows you, it's kind of like sudo, it allows you to run something as root, but then uh, instead of using sudo, which has its own policy, it uses the PolicyKit policy to check, you know, are you authorized to do this or not? Uh, and it is set your ID root itself. And so you can imagine here, we've got an application that is gonna start uh, processing memory you know, outside. So we've already got like an out of bounds read and the way, because it's reading past you know, the array of memory there. So you can potentially crash it in this case, but the way that PKExec parses its uh, argument variables is it goes and actually modifies them in place. Now, in this case, there are no argument variables. So what it's going and doing is it's modifying in place its environment variables. And so you can then provide a crafted environment to it when you go and do a fork exec uh, to it. And uh, then it's gonna go and modify that environment. Now, because it is set UID root, uh, that environment is generally sanitized so that you can't do things like inject uh, you know, arbitrary shared objects through LD preload and other things like that. However, now we've got an application that's gonna go and modify its own environment variables, which it thinks are its argument variables, uh, based on the content that we give it. And so we can actually get it to modify that to then say, you know, specify an LD preload of a library that we control and then cause set UID root pika exec to arbitrary load uh, our, you know, our module. And then we've got root code execution as a result. And this is yeah, a really awesome little vulnerability. Uh, the fix is actually really simple. Obviously you just check that you've actually got, you know, at least a one command line argument past you. Your argc is, uh, is one or more uh, and you can bail out if you don't. Uh, and this was actually found by Qualys. You know, obviously they've got uh, some really good engineers there who are very good at this uh, you know, real low level uh, details on you know, argument handling and the like in Linux. So yeah, that is awesome to see. Uh, what else we've got? An update for systemd. Uh, this is within the systemd temp files uh, application within systemd that's designed to both clean out you know, temp on boot, but also set up uh, you know, various things that may be needed under var and the like as well. In this case, uh, it used a recursive algorithm to go and clean out slash temp. So it would kind of walk the temp directory structure and then go and you know, recursively kind of descend down it in its own code. Uh, and so if you created a really deeply nested directory structure, it's gonna then really deeply recurse through its own code, calling the same function again and again to walk down through that and eventually try to remove all of that. As you can imagine, if you can make a uh, directory structure that is so ne deeply nested that it uh, runs out of stack space while recursing down, you can get it to crash which is exactly what this vulnerability is. And so then cause a denial of service against systemd temp files. That's uh, interesting because systemd temp files does uh, go and set up various directories on boot. You know, if you can get it to crash on boot, then certain things won't exist when perhaps they should. And so it could have other specified, uh, unspecified impacts, not just denial of service there, depending on what other applications are expecting, but that one has been fixed. What else? We had an update for uh, the X server for our extended security maintenance releases. Uh, I talked about this one for our regular releases back in episode 142. We had an update as well for Vim. Uh, I guess a lot of people listening to this are probably using Vim. Uh, I'm an Emacs person myself, but anyway, I digress. Uh, the five different CVs were fixed here. It looks like um, Vim participates in a uh, bug bounty program. And actually I've got a link to that in the show notes if you wanna go check it out. Uh, it looks like there's kind of a pot of money that gets allocated for various Vim vulnerabilities. And you know, at the end of the month, uh, then it gets re re uh, replenished. So at the moment that is actually empty. So if you've got some Vim vulns that you wanna report, maybe don't do them yet, maybe wait uh, till next month to do it. And you may be able to get yourself some sweet cash for that. But yeah, people have been fuzzing Vim uh, you know, with ad address sanitizer enabled and finding these various vulns. So it's probably not a real hard thing to do. So if you're looking for some pocket money, that one might be one to check out, uh, go fire up AFL or something like that and see what you can find. 
What else? We had some updates for Shadow. Uh, again, this goes back to 1404 extended security maintenance, uh, 1604 extended security maintenance, and 1804 uh, long-term support. Uh, an update for WebKit GTK for our more recent releases. So that's 24 long-term support and 2110. And again, that's kind of the usual web type issues that we see because this uh, contains a copy of WebKit. It has various vulnerabilities that are in WebKit itself. Uh, what else? Had an update for LDNS, an update for Samba, uh, three CVs for Samba there. I guess the most interesting one of that was a uh, heap out-of-bounds read-write vulnerability in the VFS fruit module uh, that could lead to code execution. Now, VFS fruit uh, is actually uh, kind of a code name for their module that uh, it provides enhanced compatibility with as uh, Apple machines and their uh, you know, SMB clients and that kind of thing. So uh, obviously you've got a user who could modify extended attributes on a file system that you are then accessing through this. Uh, they could then trigger this uh, out-of-bounds read-write in Samba and possibly get code execution as a result in Samba, which runs as root. So you could get uh, you know root code execution on your Samba machine. So not a good one, but yeah, that's been fixed. And finally, we had an update for cron four different cvs fixed for cron in uh, 64 extended security maintenance and that is it wow for the last few weeks in security updates okay so the other thing that i did want to mention in this week's episode is uh some news out of our certifications team uh, this is around uh, our DISA STIG compliance tooling, and that is that uh, we've announced, I guess, the availability now of what is called the Ubuntu Security Guide. Uh, it is not, uh, as the name necessarily suggests, kind of like a, you know, a guide or a piece of documentation around security. It is actually uh, both sort of, I guess, both doco, but also uh, tooling around compliance for uh, DISA STIG. Uh, what is DISA STIG? I hear you asking. Yeah, so it's a US Department of Defense uh, security configuration standard uh, and it consists of guidelines for hardening your systems and so it's basically designed to improve a system security posture. Uh, it's sort of a big suite of guidelines really of different measures that you can take to harden a system. Uh, it's kind of like a checklist, I guess, that you can see uh, to secure different things like uh, you know, the use of various protocols and services, uh, basically trying to reduce the overall attack surface that a machine may present and the different services that are there uh, may make available. And so what this new Ubuntu Security Guide does is it tries to bring, I guess, the sort of simplicity and the nice, easy UX that we have in Ubuntu uh, to this uh, kind of world of compliance. Uh, and so it enables you to both audit a machine to see does it uh, meet uh, the DISA-STIG standards, um, does it it can then also allow you to automatically fix it so that it does meet it. And you, know, you can also have the ability then to customize which of these sort of uh, rules within uh, the standard you actually want to have applied. And, so, and I guess makes a, a lot of your work a lot easier. So uh, yeah, this is available for uh, our latest uh, long-term support release, 2004 long-term support, uh, and it's available with Ubuntu Advantage. So if you go to uh, ubuntu.com slash advantage, you'll be able to find out more about that. Uh, and it is... Um, yeah, uh, also available with uh, Ubuntu Pro if you are using that in various cloud environments as well. Uh, I've got a link to a blog post providing more details, but yeah, also go to ubuntu.com advantage so you can see what your various subscriptions are there and uh, potentially enable it. All right, uh, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, it's been great to this all again for you. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, we are securityubuntu.com. Uh, we also hang out in the Ubuntu Security channel on the libera.chat IRC network. Come on along and say good day to us. Uh, there is also a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com. And finally, we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. So hit us up there if you've got anything you want to ask too. Okay. Uh, I will be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.